Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Invest in your postdoc transformation. Welcome to the weekly show for scientists leaping into business. In every episode, we are happy to recommend employers of choice for you. For your career transition, we offer customized career transition e-courses and memberships, also at graduate schools all over the world. Maybe yours too. And if your university isn't yet our customer, enroll in your free email course for career transition made simple, as linked in the show notes. I'm your host, Professor Dr. Anna Sui Winkles, and let's build your postdoc transformation with this episode. Do you want to leave academia and think? And employment in business is the only alternative. Well, then let me teach you something new. Employment in business is neither the only nor the last alternative to academia. In this episode, we will think about: Would you be able to start your own company? And your company could be related to blank. You know, it could be your research-based. Thing, your service, your product, whatever you create, that you have known as being, you know, addressable to a market because you've seen that during your research as a PhD at graduate school, or it could also be something completely different where you transfer and monetize your skills gained in your PhD to that new product or service, totally unrelated to your. Pre- so we will be talking about the entrepreneurial mindset. And also some business acumen skills. While there is an overlap for both of these topics between your graduate school experience and also、um, what you have to have to be able to start your own company and to run it, I would have to say that I think that external business experience before you start your own company will help you. Probably to,、um, you know, to gain investors and to be more confident on the market, etc. But I do know a couple of PhD students who created and founded their own products and and company straight after grad school. So let's start with the entrepreneurial mindset, domains, and the source for that comes from Nifty, and I'll link that in the show notes. So they pronounce themselves Nifty, and they stand for the acronym NFTE, so Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship. Here we go: the mindset of an entrepreneur. Number one, domain, initiative, and self-reliance. Well, as the founder of your own company, you need to take the ownership for your products or services. No one else will. If you are, you know, a one-man show, or whether you have employees, none of them will be able and also be willing to take the ownership for your own products and services. So you need to lead without input or guidance, and you need to overcome all obstacles, even against headwinds. Domain number two: future orientation. You need to create a highly demanded product or service in a future-proof manner, and that means that you need to understand 
you know, the future of work episode, I, I have, I think it's episode number four. You should check this out because I think that these, this will be helpful for you to see in which industries are business, you know, business to business customers, something like that. You maybe want to create a product or a service so that um, the demand is high at this at the one hand and also you need to think about a future proof manner of how to create and how to deliver the business service products etc domain number three creativity and innovation and that means you have to ideate unknown products not already known products not existing products but you have to have innovative new products or services or you can also you know, create a competitive, better delivery or service of this known product or service. You know, there there are ways to be creative and inno innovative, but you have to be that. Domain number four, critical thinking and problem solving. So you need to be strategic and thorough, reflecting, thoroughly reflecting and forecasting all the costs and benefits of your solution. So your product or your service, right? So you need to think about it from a 360 degree regarding costs and benefits in the short run or short term, midterm, and also in the long run. Hey, do you need a well-paid job in business aligned with your vision of life as soon as possible? You don't have access to a supportive career guide at your graduate school, then this is for you. I know that leaping out of science can be lengthy, full of misconceptions and scary without experience guidance. And maybe you already know how it feels to get rejections on non-academic job applications. So wouldn't it be comforting to have me by your side so that you can land your future-proof job? Imagine the feeling of getting job interview invites after you submitted a winning CV, cover letter and sustainably rock your LinkedIn. Do you want to become confident through my interview and contract negotiation rehearsal? With me, you can confidently fine-tune super roads, working conditions, benefits and compensations. This postdoc transformer bundle is the first time that I ever offer it and it grants you 24-7 access to the two e-courses career transition into business and digital personal branding that are usually exclusively offered at graduate schools. Now you can share all your job application material and questions, as many as you like, and I will answer via exclusive video lessons sent to you via email within 24 hours. So subscribe until you start your job and you don't need me as your career transition guide anymore. How would you feel to be able to worry-free pay all your running bills and reduce your student debts as you earn 60 to 125k annual salaries? Remember, every month without a well-paid job worsens your financial situation so it takes longer to become financially stable. Also, receiving too many rejections for your job applications after your PhD will reduce your chances to get a job aligned with your vision of life. So, subscribe to your monthly postdoc transformation bundle for your guided career transition into business now.
And before I continue with the other four domains, I want you to recap the four domains we have just discussed. One is initiative and self-reliance, future orientation, creativity and innovation, and also critical thinking and problem solving. These are all skills that you already bring to the table as a scientist, right? So you've been initiative, you've been self-reliant as a PhD student. I mean, you probably did not get your PhD research topic just like this. You didn't just, you know, inherited it and had to just execute. Instead, you probably had maybe a similar topic like all others, but you had to create your own context of experiments, of um, your samples, of how you would, you know, um, create new insights and something like that. The second domain, the future orientation, probably isn't that so much, you know, required in science because science is more like the groundwork and less so on-demand research, right? So I guess that, that you probably aren't so much future-oriented, but then again, please listen to this episode four where I definitely talk about this. Domain number three, I think, is something where you you have your safest bet, right? So you are creative, you are innovative, because whatever you do, I mean, that's the, the that's the the essence of science, right? To create empirically new insights, and especially if you've been running experiments, but also if you've been sampling qualitative interviews and trying to understand to sign offs and everything like that. That is all critical thinking and problem solving. And I think that PhD students bring that abundantly to the table that is worthy and, you know, valuable from a business perspective. All right, so let's move on to the next domain, which is number five, communication and collaboration. Well, to cut this short, I mean, you don't create a service or a product and I mean, buy that all by yourself, right? You have to sell it to someone. You have to supply that the material from somewhere and you have to, you know, work with people. So communication and collaboration entails working with your clients, your suppliers, your team, and maybe also your sponsors, financial investors, etc., so that you can deliver sustainably your products or your services. Domain number six is comfort with risk. Well, every business comes with profits and losses. And usually the profits come after the losses. I mean, usually uh, you'll be having a lot of failure that you can either attribute to yourself or your own behavior. And I strongly encourage you to attribute that to your own behavior. And that is that you can train for the good skills. You can train for the good behavior. You can train for that, right? Don't attribute that to yourself because then that's hard to change. And you will be probably running your own business in 10 years time with a completely different business model, maybe even completely different products and services. So usually people who own a business 
have undergone a lot of changes, but they have stayed true to themselves in the sense that they want to make a difference with their own business. But their service delivery, their services, or their products may have changed over time. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, now. After two or three years of the Corona crisis, depending on how you see that, and also the ongoing war, and also you know the the human the the energy crisis and the human crisis, that really has has made a lot of entrepreneurs struggle. And the successful ones will lead despite uncertainty and challenges. You always have to find a new way to make money, and that's essentially what makes an entrepreneur successful. Domain number seven—that's flexibility and adaptability. And I think that we all are familiar with Darwin, survival of the fittest, and everything like that. And that totally applies to surviving and thriving in business with your own company. Right. So the question really is: Do you have the resources to change, adapt, and win in the long run? Right. You always have to invest to make more money. You probably don't just, you know, inherit some money and can play with that. But instead, you have to invest, and maybe you will have some losses, but you have to make more money to in order to have profits at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of the. Century. So, if entrepreneurship is your way to go, I would strongly encourage you to look for role models, entrepreneurs who've been in the game for more than ten years, more than twenty years, and even for a century. Because I can tell you that these are the companies. If they still survive, they're probably de- they have a different business model compared to then. When they were founded, but still they were able to survive, and this is the entrepreneurial mindset that you need to emulate, because the challenges have changed over the course of the last century and today, but the abilities to survive and to adapt, they are the same. That's the entrepreneurial mindset. Domain number eight of the mindset of an entrepreneur is opportunity recognition. The question really is always: there are always problems, right? But do you see problems as your chance to solve and to capitalize on your solutions? And those solutions can be new products, new services, new delivery of known products and services. But essentially, if these problems are, you know, not a problem of very few, but a huge. Totally addressable market, then this is your chance to, to you know, profit from that, and to create a solution that will help your clients in a way that they are more than happy to pay you for that solution. Obviously, I'm saying that your solution, your product needs to be a great quality, and needs to be valuable, and needs to be, you know, helpful a solution. For your clients' needs and problems, but you have to be also, you know, capitalize solutions so that you have a return on your own mental and you know whatever 
financial, physical, whatever effort you've done. Because without a return on your own investment, you don't have a business for very long. And again, let's summarize the four previous domains. Number five, communication and collaboration. I really do think that as a PhD student, you, or as a PhD holder, or even as a postdoc, you have what it takes to be a good communicator and good collaborator. I mean, you've done this probably in the setting of academia, but especially if you've been doing a lot of SciComm, science communication, you have to be able to be, you know, to, to speak about your research or other people's research in very easy, in easy terms, right? In a way that it is attracting and also, you know, convincing others to come into academia and become a student and to become a PhD student or whatever it is. And if you've been able to win grants because you, you know, you applied for a grant, um, this is also a communication style, but totally different in business, I have to say. As for the domain comfort with risk, I see the biggest gap when I at least compare my own PhD graduate school experience and the direct, you know, contrast or stark contrast what I've seen in business. Because um, I've been working with people, patients who had tumors, I mean, I'm, I'm a neuroscientist, so I've been working with people who were nearly dead and then came back and had to undergo therapy so that they were able to um, partly participate in life. And these kind of risks or issues or challenges and changes in the people's life that I have accompanied was like a total difference to the the risk of losing millions of money but then again it's not about life and death right so um i think that you the context will change and the coping mechanisms are somewhat familiar and somewhat similar so you can apply the coping mechanisms while the context will probably be surprising for you and let's see the domain flexibility and adaptability. I think that this is something that you also bring abundantly to the table as a scientist because uh, we are probably very flexible and adaptable, right? So if something in your experience didn't work in the protocol didn't work, you had to change. There was no other way. And then you had to be waiting patiently and try again and try again. And I think that this resilience that you've been building to overcome the, the obstacles and to adapt to win in the long run is something that you can take uh, and apply very easily in the business world. The only thing is that you absolutely have to understand the tools, the concepts and, you know, the frameworks applicable to the business side. As for domain number eight, opportunity recognition, I think that scientists often lack this, not all, but often we lack this because we haven't been exposed 
to opportunity recognition in our grad schools, right? So no one asks us to make money based out of on our research. So sometimes we have industry collaborations when when we were lucky because the principal investigator had ties to industry, but. Usually, that is not so much expected from a PhD student. That means that、um, we aren't that much exposed, and we don't have we haven't had the chance to、um, to train our opportunity recognition skills. And now it's time to thank Company ABC, who sponsors this episode of the Postdoc Transformation Show. I would now be reading the company's answers to one of six bold questions, so that you can choose to apply. For example, number one: Describe your most valuable experts versus leaders in your company. Have they typically earned a doctor title? Or number two: For which of your company roles or units do you encourage somebody with a doctor title to apply? Number three. How would you describe your organizational culture in which your most valuable experts and leaders thrive in? To nominate an employer of choice so that we can ask our informative, bold questions, click on the link in the show notes. And now back to the postdoc transformation episode. And now we will switch gears from the entrepreneurial mindset, according to Nifty. And we will look into the business acumen, which I think is absolutely a must-have to survive as an entrepreneur. Right. So the source for this is from Indeed, two thousand twenty-two, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well, so that you can look it up. And I think that it's a really helpful resource for you. So even if you start out. On your own, without an employee, you have to be—you have to be a good leader for yourself. Especially when you are self-employed, no one asks you to, you know, care for yourself, and no one will,、uh, you know, look out for you when you are working intrinsically for your own business, but doing that in heavily over time, right? And on the other hand, no one will pick you up when you are down, and no one will ask whether you are, you know, finished with all your thinking through the whole problem, or whether you're just procrastinating or whatever. So you need to be a strong leader for yourself, and then later, when you are successful with your company, you will have to have some employees, virtual assistants. Or full-time employees as well, so that you can do other things, the strategy, but they can execute, or help you in units of your business where you don't have the the expertise, right? So, at the beginning, you probably are more of a generalist. You do everything, but you can't do everything at the very highest level, which your company, your services, your products deserve when they really serve. Many customers, and that's why if you are an owner, you start up your company, and you scale that up, you need to also be a good leader. And that again, to be frank,、uh, is something that we all know. The opposite of a good leader is the toxic leadership in academia. Even the good, especially the bad, the toxic one, is not. The way how you lead people in business. Moving on to number two is financial acumen. Well, 
Financial acumen helps you to look at your finances, right? Your investments, your budget, your um, your forecasting. How much cash flow do you need to fuel your business, and how much money can you, you know, save to future to to future sorry to future investments? Because otherwise, you'll be very negatively surprised. When you turn in your tax, or even you create your tax statement, and then you'll find out that、uh, even though you made money, it's not enough to cover all the costs. And you should give yourself a couple of months or years time in order to become profitable, right? But if you don't have a good strategy behind that and no financial acumen, that will be hard to assess. Okay, number three, strategy and business modeling, and that really goes hand in hand. I mean, depending on how much money you have, you can be, you know, dream bigger, or you have to be more realistic. But essentially, you have to have the right strategy to think about the business model first, to see whether there's a how big is the total addressable market. How much money would the clients pay for that? How much value is that? I mean, the solution costs some production, right? So production investment, etc. And people don't just pay for the production costs, but they pay for the solution and how much it is worth for them. So you need to also be able to see pricing strategies and to think about.、Um, Variants of your products or your services, and that is essentially business modeling in the sense of how can you make more money based on your assets. And I think that goes without saying, but you should always orient yourself on the future of work, because、um, that will help you to see whether there are some industries or businesses, business roads thriving. And that will also indicate for you whether there is still some roof room for you to 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 gain、um, exposure and to make your own product or your services in that niche or not. And to understand how big the total addressable market is, you need to do some market research and yours. You need to do some marketing. Right, find out what are the sentiments of your who is your ideal customer avatar, what are their problems. Try to be empathetic in their own shoes and not in yours. Even though you think that you can serve them, they have some needs and you know problems which they probably need to to solve first because before they can attend to your products and your services. And maybe you can have some product or service value chain or something like that. So that you can, you know, accompany a given customer or client along a growth life cycle. And did you know that I offer deep dive e courses, workshops, and memberships at graduate schools, maybe also at yours in the future? Ask your graduate school coordinator whether they want to book my services so that I can deliver them to you twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five. On your mobile device, and then you need to think about IT as your infrastructure to deliver, or at least to run a lot of parts of your business, like the financial reporting, 
the delivery of email marketing and such, etc. But IT will be a huge asset for your own business, and depending on your IT skills, that is something that you maybe I need you need to outsource or. At least I would see this as a strategic tool to increase the bottom line because you can save cost uh, by using the the right um, tools in the right manner. And then you also think about operations, and operations doesn't have to be the IT side, but it can also be the execution side uh, with people, but. Essentially, if you have a service, then you need to operate on that. You need to deliver the service. You need to have a customer service. You need to have a training or, um, you know, whatever it is, a community or something like that. But that's essentially operations. That could be, um, digital, supporting, or it could be also just on the human side. And because I've been mentioning service just a couple of seconds ago, I want to highlight that. With a really high quality product or a high product, a high quality service, you don't have a lot of customer service needed, because customer service is traditionally only required when the service and the product is craps, right? So it's it, 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 if you have a good service, if you have a good product, then essentially the customer service can also be. Um, less demanding, or it could be automated, and you don't have to have a full time equivalent doing that, because there's not so much required in customer service. Instead, the people in the customer service unit could also be thinking of marketing and market research, because they are having the the rare opportunity of talking to your clients and to be able to sell them and that's why the next thing is sales to sell them maybe um some you know subsequent products or services along the value chain so that your client has maybe um tackled their own problems and they have grown into the next step and then on that next step you Happen to have a solution for them so that they can tackle their new problems also together with you. And if you have, a, I mean, if you had a great product or service, they will trust you also with the new problems to solve. But I still want to address sales as a separate point, because without sales, without recurrent. Sales and also enough one-time sales. You you don't have cash flow that is enough to to fuel your own business, right? You have to have enough cash flow so that you can go from one month to the other and create new services or deliver your existing services in a future-proof manner. Your sales history also proves to. Venture capitalists, or you know, people who lend you money,、uh, that you are worth for them to be, you know, an investment. And once you have determined your readiness to leap, and you think, yes, this is the way forward. I want to transition into business or industries. Then you can, if you like. Enroll in your free email course with 
10 actionable, bingeable email lessons until you start your job in business. You'll get 10 emails that detail number one, how to leap out of signs, number two, how to build your sustainable LinkedIn profile, number three, how to read social media and network, number four, how to research your favorite jobs and employers, number five, how to do information interviews to get insights, number six, how to create your customized applications, number seven, how to prepare your thesis from a business point of view, Number eight, how to apply to your favorite employers. Number nine, how to choose the right job offer. And number 10, how to prepare for your new job. Woohoo! I know that this episode has been niched down to a fraction of PhD holders and postdocs who think of themselves as possible entrepreneurs. So I hope that you will like this episode if you found value in this and also use the speak pipe to let me know your questions and also encourage me to ask other people who have been entrepreneurs right after their PhD so that you will find other role models. I know a couple of them and I also know some networks um, at nearby graduate school so to speak who could also contribute in a future episode as an expert um, interview or something like that. So let me know if that is of value for you, for you and let me know whether you want more of this. I really do think that for me at least, to be honest, for me at least, it was good that I had a couple of years in different companies before I sort of ventured out and created my own company, right? Because otherwise, I wouldn't have had the business acumen. I did not have any business acumen when I left graduate school. I learned it the hard way. I learned it from master's students. I learned it from people without an academic degree. I learned it at three different employers to be able to see what it takes to be successful in my business. It is literally no rocket science and PhD holders will be able to understand. The question really is, are you open to learn that? And also, will you enjoy that? Because I see some advantages of being employed. One is, at least, you just have to do the job. There's only one job that you have to do and you have to excel on that and then you're safe. Granted that you chose a future-proof employer and a future-proof role, etc., etc. But again, listen to the episode number four to, to, to be able to land a job that is relatively safe. And then when you excel on that, when you are good enough to be competitive, then you will be safe. But I encourage everyone who went, who goes out into business as an employee, I always ask them, can you be also entrepreneurial thinking? Even if you are just employed and it's not your job to be the entrepreneur within your company, please always, please always think intrapreneurial because actually this is the task of your leader, of your manager. But, you know, sometimes you are just not lucky. And your leader, your manager, your boss is not entrepreneurial thinking. 
and that leaves room for improvement because if he or she leads you and your team members into nowhere, then you probably all will lose your job. But instead, if you are in parallel able to think entrepreneurial and entrepreneurially and to see what other tasks, what other services, what other products you should create instead with your team, then you have increased your chances to stay on board when the ship of your team will be sort of like unleashed. And that's why taken together, I encourage you to also listen to episode number one uh, to check your readiness to leap out of science. And number three is about 10 steps for your career transition into business. And that is also associated with an email course so that you get 10 emails on a weekly or even um, yeah on a weekly basis. Or you can also bench that because if you don't have enough time, like 10 weeks before you graduate or, you know, have to leap into business, then you can also bench that. If you are still unsure about which directions after academia you can take, then I also have episodes on reasons for staying, but also reasons for leaping out of business. So in closing, remember, you will manage your postdoc transformation. And I want you to invest strategically into your doctorate according to your vision of life. Thanks for your attention and until the next time. Hey, have you found this episode so far helpful for yourself? Well, maybe you can subscribe and also share this episode with your PhD bestie because that would encourage us to help the underprivileged, underrepresented and underserved early career scientists leaping into business. And now back to the show. Do you want the transcript of our episode and our episode sponsors answers to all six bold questions so that you can choose to apply? Do you want to nominate your employer of choice so that we can ask them our bold questions? For all of that, check out our clickable links in our show notes. And on our website, www.postdoctransformation.com, you can also check your readiness to leap into business or enroll in our free email course, Career Transition Made Simple. Thanks for your attention. I'm Professor Dr. Elna Sui-Winkles, the host of your weekly Postdoc Transformation Show. Postdoc Transformation Postdoc Transformation Postdoc Transformation